Um, hi, my name is Red Saunders. My name is Michael Riley. Okay. Now, Michael, I've had um, you join Red in this interview because, of course, as a member of Steel Pulse, you performed at um, Raw Gigs. And this, this project, which is the legacy of your work at the University of Westminster, provides us with an opportunity for the two of you to sit down together and be captured on film talking about these concerts. I read actually bringing us chronologically how, to how we got here and musically, politically and sociologically what these gigs were, were, were seeking to do. Use music as a select, celebratory and unifying force, but also use it to attack you know, racism. Do you remember when you first heard about Rock Against Racism as an organisation and, and then when you considered as a member of Steel Pulse, being a part of it. Yeah. Um, the first thing to say is that we're hearing about Ra from a distance of 125, 130 miles down the road in Birmingham, the centre of the reggae universe. Not as is considered in London, but it is as far as we were concerned. And we heard about it not least because the Eric Clapton concert took place in Birmingham. So from that moment onwards, it's the topic of conversation, which was also fueled by the fact that he did a Bob Marley song, and Bob Marley is sacred. Um, uh, and so that informed a sense that whether we're called, and that's how it was almost perceived at the time, whether you got the calling um, to perform at a raw gig, um, and I say that in the context that when you're in Birmingham, you're far enough away from the centre of music uh, universe in London to hear about things and not be invited or be part of things. Um, there was very much a London and then the rest of the UK is how uh, we felt back then. So we had done all this work in the Midlands going north in terms of black and white musicians uh, in terms of working with punks on the same stage and we're thinking we should get that call but there's no guarantee we get that call so there was an anticipation there in terms of we deserve that call <laughs> based on the work that we we're doing and we had a lot of interest in London. This is um, pre-being signed to Island Records. Um, so to be even recognised or spoken about in uh, a London context meant that we were achieving things. So uh, we had contacts in London and we did eventually get that call in the form of would you consider at performing at Regent's Park and at the time there is no sense of scale for us it's just another gig Regent's Park uh, Victoria Park rather doesn't register as anything significant um, but we'd received that inquiry and we're going we could be playing at this raw gig in London and it's a major event um, there's also muted the possibility of the clash being on the same billing Tom Robinson being on the same billing. Um, other names, Shamstick C9 being on the same billing. Some of the names are more familiar than others, 
But what we got the sense of very much was that this was an important billing to be part of. Yeah. Um, uh, mm. Sorry, the, the, the gig you're re referring to is the Victoria Park yep. gig in 1978. And mm. that is, so that's two years after the very first um, raw gig that you mentioned with Carol Grimes and, and I'm from the, the second one with Matumbi and Carol Grimes and others. When I first interviewed Red, he talked about that, that march from Trafalgar Square all the way to Victoria. That's a good couple of bus rides, but if you're wise, that's a tube journey. It's, it's, not, it's not short. And Red, could you take us through your memories of that? Because there were no mobile phones, there was no way of knowing would people turn up, what's the scale, it had been raining the night before, how do we know that there is this desire for this concert and what was it about this concert in this park that mattered and that marked? It was um, an extraordinary and very special um, time and day for me because we just had our first child. Our child came to the carnival, she was eight weeks old, Lisa, our daughter. So I had a, another gigantic element to think about. Mm -hmm was how was my wife, I didn't want her to be left behind because she'd worked on all the preparation with all of us. We'd all been for months building this gig. So that was a, a huge added thing to the day, apart from everything else, you know. So the day we'd, we'd always said there was going to be a march, and this was the political side of Rara, obviously, because we were marching... When we decided to have the gig, we didn't have the gig anywhere except for Victoria Park, which is the constituency got the highest NF vote in the previous election. So this is NF territory we're going to, and that's why we've chosen to go there. We've chosen a march because that's the classic working class mobilisation, an organisation, a fighting group. We're going to march. We're not just going to have some passive thing. You've got to march. It's eight miles. As you said, it's an eight mile march. And of course, the police were all going, oh, you're not going to get anybody, no one's marching, you know. And when, we, when they got things, they were, oh, they're only here for the music, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So we, the preparations for the gig, and I was trying to say earlier, don't forget, we're quite shambolic. You know, we're not super organised, we don't have loads of money, you know, it's passion. It's what I always said, it's like, tap and take this worth of energy in a couple of elastic bands, and that was the energy, that was what we were doing. Um, and so on the day, we gathered in, Trafalgar Square, and this was the time when the police would allow lorries on a march. So we had all the lot, like Misty and Roots were on a lorry, the Ruts were on a lorry. It's like carnival. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And whereas now that you would never be allowed to have a lorry on a march, you know, it's like forget it, you know. So there was lots of lorries, and Tom Robinson said to me, "Don't forget, Tom was like number one in the charts in those days. I think two, four, six, eight was like." You know, and he'd been on top of the pops and he'd had the big Rastar on his guitar and we were all tickled pink, it was wonderful. So things were happening, you know. Um, but the organisation was massive and we were... It, it, it wasn't great. You know, I mean, we, how could we possibly be? If you look back, the stage was no higher than four or five foot off the ground. It was a ramshackle, you know, the security was the print shop workers and, you know what I mean? It was like very, very shambolic in that level and... And, you know, someone said to me, have we got any toilet rolls? And I was like, what? I mean, you know, it was all completely... Oh, we'd taken on so much that you, it was extraordinary that it actually happened. And it started off in Trafalgar Square. And uh, Tom said to me, he'd said that a couple of days before, oh, I'm having a meeting, I'm, I'm having dinner or something with the, the boss of EMI. And, um, you know, 
and they said to me, is there anything special you want for this, um, this gig you're doing? So I just, I don't know why, it's at the top of my head, I said to him, I said, ask him for 10,000 whistles. And so in the morning, I saw Tom, he said, I got the 10,000 whistles. And I went, oh, great, you know. And that's why it was such a noise. There was such a cacophony when the march headed off because we had these 10,000 whistles. But at first, like you said, it was very rainy, overcast day. I think at eight o'clock, I was a bit anxious. And like, so I went, I'm going off to get a bacon roll and a cup of tea. And I went off up to Soho and I, and I came back. The first thing I saw when I came back was two coaches from Liverpool and the doors opened and like all the smoke wafted out and all these punks tumbled out onto <coughs> the floor and they must have been asleep on the coaches all night. And then within an hour, you know, 50 coaches were arriving and suddenly the whole square was packed and it didn't matter if it fucking rained or not because it, it was on, you know. Uh, yeah. and, and we had the huge crowd there in Trafalgar Square and um, they had all the, you know, speeches and stuff and stuff and everybody marched. I'd say 90% of the 80,000 at the gig actually marched all the way. And we reached a fantastic point in Bethnal Green Road. There used to be a pub, it's not there anymore. There used to be a pub called the Bladebone Pub, and that was an NF pub. And the NF were outside the pub, and it was like NF and Column 88, and they were fully, you know, 16 boot Dr. Martins, they were bomber jackets, see, oh, they were all there, giving it all the stuff, you know, really shouting scum and all this. And they had a whole phalanx of police protecting them. And the march was coming. And the march kept coming. And it kept coming. And it kept coming. And I was watching this and it was fantastic. You could see their demoralisation. And finally I saw a group of Jewish socialists. And you can see there's a photograph. And there's this young guy, he's holding up a banner. And it says, queer Jew boy wants a better world. And I just, the Nazis just... <laughs> You saw me, and then they oh, fuck this, and they went back in the pub, and you, it was just so joyful, it was fantastic. And then, um, in the park itself, like you said, no mobile phones, no nothing, Roger was organising the stage and the thing, and he was going, Jesus, nobody's coming. You know, he was like, what, what are we going to do? And Polly Starring was there, and she was going, right, you know, let's go. And he's going, but there's nobody here. And he said there was literally three St John's ambulance men and a couple of dogs running around, and so he had to start because we had, you know, we organised, look, we've got all these bands, so you've got to... And he said Polly literally was into her first number when in, you knew, you could hear, you know, the massive... And they said and it stopped being drizzly and overcast and the cliché and the clouds parted and the sun shone and Moses should have walked in, you know what I mean? And that, he said that it was just fantastic and that was the beginning of the day. It, that's well, the started. funny thing about that, because we're travelling from Birmingham, right. and there are no mobile phones. And I think we were going to go to a hotel. Well, to say hotel sounds grand. It was a shed. Mm. And we, we were getting messages, like every so often we'd stop at a petrol station or whatever and ring. And we didn't know when we were going to be on. It wasn't that organised. Right? Yeah, sounds familiar. Um, and as we got to London... Um, and we're trying to find out where we're going to the park because it's, it's no sat-nav, there's no anything like that. Um, we hit the crowd. And so, you know, there's a point where we're going, should we get off the bus and join uh, the, the, the crowd going in? And then it was like, no, stay on the bus, you're safer. <laughs> I'm not sure, safe from what? <laughs> but, but also, there was then the challenge to get to the park. Yeah. Because we're now held up by the very 
audience that we're going to perform to. Um, and we get to the park, and then there was this backstage scenario where no one really seemed to know what was happening, who's going on when, um, who might not go on, because the schedule wasn't running uh, as planned, not that we were aware of what the plans were. Um, and so there was a fear as the, the day rolled on, because you're standing there, you know, waiting to be called, uh, that you might not go on, because the whole timing of everything was sliding. Um, and as it uh, was sliding, this audience was growing and growing and growing. And it just went further and further back until you couldn't see the end of the audience. So the experience was, because you're peeking behind um, every so often from uh, backstage and looking out at this audience, shit, we've never played in front of such a large audience, a large audience, to what if we don't play? <laughs> because there's that real possibility uh, and, uh, that we didn't play. And then we were being told, you know, various uh, people were running back and forth going, uh, with instructions, and one of the instructions, make sure you play Klu Klux Klan, right? Oh, sorry, you haven't got three songs anymore, you've got two. Oh, you haven't got two songs, you might have one song. And so the whole, all the instructions uh, were changing as well as uh, the whole, uh, uh, well, stage opportunity unfold. And then there were discussions about, do you know what, uh, in order to get everyone on, we might have to do a collaboration, two bands go on at the same time and play. And then there's discussions then were, what? <laughs> Do you know this song? Do you know that song? Can you join in here on a song? Can you join in there on a song? Um, and you could see that um, there was another scenario on, on playing, which was, I suppose, normal for bands, was the egos as to, I think I'm slightly more important than you, you play our song. <laughs> um, or uh, if it really... Uh, uh, comes to it you might not go on but we will and the managers getting involved as well yeah. heavy duty argument now ensued with all the management behind stage as Bernard to, Rhodes was there right well uh, yes as to look you know our band has to go on and the label A&R people were in the mix as well um, going oh we've, we've, we've contributed to this our band has to go on who are you guys referring to us because we're the outsiders now. Um, and it was important from a band perspective, there's a definite sense we, we are part of this, we need to be seen as part of this. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, again, from our perspective, it needed to have a black presence on that stage mm -hmm. next to um, all the other music that was on the stage. And there were key things there. There was punks, there was the gay uh, story, uh, the right to be gay with Tom and we thought the reggae the black component had to be there as well mm -hmm. and at one point we felt it was at risk because it was going so well I suppose is is the thing mm -hmm. um, whilst simultaneously unraveling at the same time this is fascinating because of course the audience don't know about this no. they just think it's a bit of punk a bit of reggae a bit of pop a bit of it do you know what I mean mm -hmm. and and Red, I'm presuming here that you have no you have no investment or understanding of not only the regional ranking system of the musical sensibilities like you know ooh, 
reggae comes, British reggae is, you know, is, is, is in the Midlands. And yet, are we going to get that call? We deserve that call. You know what I mean? Not only a sense of qualification by musical expression, but if they ignore us, are they being regionalists? Are they being, you know, <laughs> are they being reggaeists <laughs> in, yeah. in some way? And then when you get to London, mm. the real risk that a Rock Against Racism gig would not feature reggae. And even if Mr. Roots were there, these are two reggae bands, these are different bands, they're as different as Sham 69 and The Clash. Yeah. So the idea that, oh, well, as long as we've got one, it's okay. Mm. All of these things matter so culturally mm. in terms of identity, and yet there's people there looking for the message. I don't think it mattered to the audience, being no. totally frank. This was a record industry uh, tension now, having recognised the opportunity, this is a very large audience that are already potentially on your side. And so I think they saw that as a, an opportunity that uh, they, couldn't, they couldn't overlook, they, couldn't, uh, they could be chastised the next day for their acts not being uh, featured in that. Red, was there any media presence? I mean, everything's so strategized now, it doesn't even matter if the national or the terrestrial um, channels don't turn up at an event. Somebody can film it on a phone, it can get there. Mm. It was part of Ra's organisation and vision for the Victoria Park concert and march. Was it to have coverage on national television? Yeah, but it was chaotic. <laughs> I mean, just as Michael's describing, you know, I'm on stage doing comparing, I have no idea this is all going on. You know, it's mm. like, I, no, you know, of course there's still pulse. I mean, at the early stages, I've gone, oh, we're going to have, we've got to have a top reggae band. We're going to have, Handsworth Revolution was, I was a big fan. We've got to have steel pulse. So there's no question about it, you know. And there was 90 Degrees was the other black band on, you know, uh, and they were all going to be on. Everyone, and in the end, everyone was on. But as he says, I, I wish I'd known what was, and I'd come back and got really, kicked ass a bit, as it were. But... It was chaotic. Like I say, I'm worrying about toilet rolls or, you know, I'm worrying about the NF attacking the back of the thing. I'm always worried about the NF. You know, I'm always going, are they coming? Maybe they're going to... Because we did, they're going to hit the generator. You know, if I was an nf -er, I'd have a crew and I'd attack the generator, you know. So things like this always happened. I used to have a sort of a Roman centurion mentality about the protection of gigs. But I'd say, okay... If they come in and they storm in and they get in, all right, they're in. But then bar the stage door, protect the stage, get your people there. Okay, right, now they've got through the front, they're at the stage. Okay, retreat to the stage. Okay, now they're on the stage. Fuck, retreat to the soundboard. Okay, now that the soundboard, turn the fucking power off. You know, that was, I had that strategy at, at gigs. So, like, at the carnival, I was always worrying about... One, I was overwhelmed and overjoyed that all these fantastic people had marched. And so, not knowing about all this discontent and stupidity going on, what, what's the great Caribbean word? Foolishness. You know, man, it's foolishness, you know. And it, it really is, as you say. And I've I think the word later... you're looking for is fuckery. Yeah, fuckery. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, it, and it came later. Again, we'd have more. At the next gigs, you'd get, they'd get worse. Yeah. yeah. Um, Ma Manchester, the terror from Bernie Rhodes. I mean, if you, you've got the raw our reminiscences, mm. everybody says all Bernie Rhodes was there to do was to cause trouble. That's and he said that. You know, that's well, the, funny, all we... the funny thing. I interviewed Wilf Walker a few weeks ago, 
the promoter. Yeah. And Wolf was explaining the challenge of first communicating to bands to get them onto uh, the raw program, let's say. This is reggae bands. Uh, and then, actually, um, once they were on, they, they loved it. Uh, but also um, explaining to the bands that they won't get paid was, was a big part. You're doing this because you want to do this. And there was a thing amongst the black um, uh, musicians that, no, we deserve to get paid. This is like Babylon taking over again. Yeah. What do you mean? Play and not get paid. Yeah, yeah. And the, within the raw uh, uh, scenario, uh, there was a challenge to say this is about the cause um, you will not get paid um, but you'll do the gig so in some instances now the gigs are being promoted as a opportunity to cultivate an audience so the pol politics are put to one side it's now a promotional opportunity that offsets getting paid so that was another mm. component of it we had to finance ourselves to come to London and if you could, then you had that option. If you mm. couldn't, you were not necessarily going to get paid. You're not getting rich from a raw gig. Yeah, no, never. No, <laughs> and you shouldn't get rich from a raw gig. No. Like you're saying, it's yeah. about the cause. It's yeah. about defeating yeah. the yeah. evil. Yeah. I think what's very interesting is even, you know, as you've been discussing, both of you have been discussing off camera, the way in which history is, has retold um, some of the performance legacy of raw, the way in which some artists are eroded out of the, mm. are erased from the picture because that suits a fond reminiscence of just the good naturedness of people mm. when people mm. are supposed to be that way. That's supposed to be yeah. the, the default setting. What we've done is um, we've opened up one of the temporary hoardings and put and placed that behind you both because obviously it, it gives no um, <laughs> reference to the disorganisation behind no. your centurion and <laughs> <laughs> sensitivities. You know, you have... You have polystyrene there. You you have. Michael should point point himself out. Yes, he should. Uh, well, uh, that's me being very black just there, and mm -hmm. uh, that's me being very white in clipped up hand hoods just mm -hmm. there. Wow. And that that image and that and that track and the performance of it with you all with the two of you deliberately wearing, you know, hoods. You have a picture of that taken of you all posing by Dennis Morris. And that track is, so, is supposed to confront the evil, that if people do nothing, if mm. events like Ra don't take place, you'll end up having the British equivalent here, roaming the streets, saying that the streets... Well, that, well that's, that track, Clidlock's Clan, became the anthem as well. Absolutely. Uh, during that period, it was back in the day where Top of the Pops used to ban records. So our initial response to that record was really great. And they just stopped playing it. They even wised up to banning a record, sold it. So they just didn't play mm. it. Um, and at all the kind of raw associated gigs and just gigs in general for Still Pulse, that track was particularly provocative. And the wearing of the Ku Klux Klan's hoods, mm. which on many occasions we had to explain to British public what those hoods yeah, no, represent. That you were, were subverting yeah. it, that yeah. you weren't yeah. endorsing. Yeah. 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 That you were subverting the message. Who else can you take us through um, that, on, that, on that poster? We've got Polystyrene, we've got Tom Robinson, you've got the Clan. Is that the Joe yeah. Strummer? Yeah. 
Um, small one. Who's this here? That's Alfonso um, Steel Pulse. Yeah. Lots of quotes from Steel Pulse. Endless Steel Pulse quotes and The Clash. Body styling. So just taking this back to the project and to reggae, the authority that reggae has musically as an export from the Caribbean's biggest island, the fact that it goes on in decades after this project's um, um, sort of window to create, to sire a musical genre called rap. The stylistic distinctions that are contained within reggae, that you've got roots and culture, that you've got militancy, that you've got dub, that you've got lovers rock, that you've got even pop reggae. Reggae had to be incorporated in the rock and the rock against racism menu. Is that absolutely? I, I no, no, absolutely. Because I, I ask this because you know, as a a mod, <laughs> an agiprop um, performer, uh, a, a photographer. You, you were and, and still are exposed to so many different stylistic, interpretive ways of yeah. looking at the world that you could have thought, well, I had some of my best days at, at the Flamingo Club. Let's yeah. get some R&B here. Yeah. Now, R&B doesn't necessarily have to just be about the romance. It can actually be about you know, taking it towards its more gospel agenda. God, what's happening mm. to us? But why reggae? Why was reggae such a key component in pushing this anti-racist message? Well, I, when I talked to you earlier about the drum, I don't know what it is about the drum. I'd have some intellectual to explain to me what the drum and the heartbeat and the you know, like we the said, the, the, yeah, the drum and the and but the devil has the drum as well. So you know, but we reggae, we the good guys have got the drum, you know, and reggae has been the backtrack to my adult life. I mean, it's really interesting. Uh, last weekend, I went to Islington Town Hall and saw Misty and Roots. And I haven't seen them for 12 years, you know, and there was two other reggae bands on with them who were reasonably shambolic and just didn't cut it, you know. And I watched them clear the stage and get ready for Misty and, and I had my hopes. And Misty came out and from the first, they were fantastic and I was taken right back to 40 years ago. And, you know, it's seen Emma come and it, all, it just was He's the backing track to my life, really, and that's it. And what you, that quote that you had um, from David Ridgery on the fr on the cover of the first temporary hall. Rebel music. Rebel music because it's the that's music it. of the underclass. Yeah. I suppose it's Bob Marley, really, isn't it? Get up, stand up, you know. And, and that I got a little small story from Lewisham. I think I told you once before. We're at Lewisham. You know, it's vitally important that we stop the NF. It's a vital for the NF that they win that day. So the whole community's out, the tension's incredible, the police are going to drive them through, come what may. And there's a lot of milling around, as there is in these kind of demonstrations, and there's a lot of false rumours and panics and backwards and forwards. And You know, when you're, when you're in the middle of, of 10, 15,000 people, it's like the sea moving, isn't it? It's like, you don't know, Christ, where are they going, what's happening? Oh, it's down at Railton Road, well, what, what, you know, it's like, all over the place. And this was going on for ages. And whilst we're waiting, there was some altercation between a an older lady on the sort of first floor and a young, uh, a group of young guys down below, Caribbeans, Caribbean, and she's, she's shouting out something and I'm, I sort of saw her, what, what's, what, what's going on over there, you know? And then she goes, hold on a minute, and she leads up a minute and she moves her geraniums on her windowsill. She moves the geraniums off the windowsill and I'm going, what, what's she doing? And she comes out and puts two speakers mm. 
where the geraniums were. Okay, I'm, and she puts on Bob Marley. Get up, stand, stand up. up. I was there. Well, yeah. yeah. You, Jesus, man, no one's ever said that to me. I was there. Wow. I was just gonna. I was that gonna preempt you. Special thing. And again, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. brother. That was black and white, man. That was it. And she and, and we all went. Whoa! Yes, the whole crowd went. Carnival at that point. But the crowd yeah. went mental. Yeah. It was yeah. incredible, absolutely yeah. incredible. So that is culture. Isn't, I mean, you can't. That's indescribable mm. reggae culture. And the final raw concert is it took place at Leeds. Leeds was fantastic, Misty, and the specials. Yeah. What are your memories of that? Did you attend that, Michael? Even as a. No. As it a... was fan. It was. I tell you why. Because the NF were in there on the way down, but they were going. We're going to really rally for this one. There was a lot of publicity, a lot of stuff. Leeds, right? Okay, it's not a major metro, 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 metropolitan town. Really. 35,000 people. Wow. NF, 300. <laughs> and the show is in a natural amphitheatre. It's in a park, Potterwell Park, I think. And it's got a lovely amphitheatre. And I'm standing there, and I went, big, the whole crowd, and the gig was fantastic, sweet as a nut. It's all missed, and uh, specials are, are doing And I looked at specials, and I went, our job's done. Mm. You know, there was this black and white band, you know, singing these incredible militant songs. Ghost Town's one of my mm. most favourite. Mm. You know, and I just went, well, we're, we're probably... Well, we were on the way out anyway, but I went, well, that's it. There's a new generation here. There's a whole new thing. Mm. End of story. Classic. Mm. And that, so that's what... And stories can't last forever. I mean, these things, you know, they've got a certain... They're like a shooting star. Ra is like a... What was that day? That was 1979, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Thank you, gentlemen. Well, you're done. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's funny going down memory lane. It's because I remember... Push your face I, 